The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's, uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, we go back to 2016, when we held a forum meet at the Sabritsky Family's Collection, north of Auckland. The last speaker of the day was Michael Murray, better known as Mick, and he gave us a great talk and slideshow detailing his experiences as a navigator on English electric Canberra's in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Here's that talk. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is our last speaker of the day. Um, I'd like to introduce Mick, who was a navigator with um, Number 14 Squadron, and he uh, did three tours on the on the Canberra, um, and he's got a 
photo presentation as well as telling us some interesting stories about those days. So over to you. Okay. Uh, well, nice to meet you. Uh, so what, what I've got here, this is um, uh, a mix of uh, a presentation that we did on 14 Squadron uh, for visiting um, dignitaries. <laughs> and uh, you'd be amazed at um, who, who um, it's really politicians on junkets that, that, that would come through. So uh, the guys um, uh, put it together and, uh, and then I've, I've supplemented them with uh, uh, a few other uh, uh, photographs. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of a mishmash and uh, one or two of the diagrams I've, I've redrawn because we couldn't, uh, uh, couldn't, uh, couldn't really fit them in. Um, I joined uh, uh, the Air Force in 1963 and, um, and then went on the uh, Canberra conversion course in 64. Um, I joined at 17 and, and uh, by the time I got to Ahakia I was 19 and then I was lucky enough to be sent up to Singapore as, um, as a 19 year old and uh, John Scrimshaw was the flight commander and, and Jeff Wallingford was the boss and, and Jeff had just done his Achilles tendon and I did mine about three months ago and old Scrim was worried about, um, uh, about me um, uh, in the bar and, and sort of then you know, not getting a full night's sleep and then just sort of generally being a larrikin and I found this out about uh, oh, 15 or 20 years later. But what um, Scrim said to me was that, look, um, Mick, uh, we've um, got some bad news for you. He said, you, you, uh, we had uh, three bars in the, in, in the mess. And he said, look, um, uh, the PMC's a bit worried that you're 19. And at that stage, drinking in the pubs in New Zealand is 21. And uh, so he's, he, the, the bad news is that you're not going to be able to... Um, buy drinks at the stag bar, but he said, the good news is, is that we can get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, that is, that is pretty good. And, um, and so for the first three months or so, I was um, going off to bed at about nine o'clock, completely shickered, you know, absolutely <laughs> smashed and wondered what, what, you know, what, what, and the other guys were ripping into the night and, and, uh, and whatnot. And what I discovered 20 years later, oh, then after about three months, Scrim said to me, oh, well, you're, um, you're coming up to 20, uh, and, uh, and I was about five months later, um, and I've had another word with the PMC, and uh, he doesn't think you're so much of a menace, but so you can, you can buy your own drinks now. And I thought that was pretty good. And all of a sudden, I was lasting the distance. <laughs> and what was happening was these, these damn guys were sticking in two tots of vodka with every one of my pints of, of, uh, of Tiger. And, uh, and that, that was it. So all scrim was. And it was actually a good thing to do. This is in the days where that's what you call functional supervision. So scrim just wanted to make sure that as a young guy who I didn't know enough to know I didn't know enough that, that you got a, so I got a good night's sleep and you'd go down to the squadron and you know and, and you'd be, be ripping but once you thought you had a you were starting to get a grip of the rope then, uh, then, then the rules changed and as far as getting a grip of the rope's concerned the first 500 hours uh, I had no idea what was going on so you, you'd come back and you'd debrief and you'd sit there and you'd listen to what was going on. Oh, Jesus, I didn't see. You know, it was all, all news to me. And oh, I didn't see that. And after about 500 hours, you, you know, debrief, and that was, um, 
and you would uh, think, oh yes, I, I, I saw that, <laughs> I recognised that. And then at about a thousand hours, then you, you uh, uh, began to get a grip of, 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 of what was going on. And I've since talked to the other guys, and they were all fairly much um, had, had similar experiences. And what uh, strikes me out of all that is that um, my, uh, one of my uncles was a swordfish pilot on the Russian convoys, and he finished at the end of the Second World War with 777 hours and did two convoys to Russia and a couple in the Mediterranean. And, uh, and he would have um, you know, probably just beginning to get a grip of the rope. And, and so uh, I was talking to a guy last week who was on the dam buses, and he finished up with 650 hours. He, he flew uh, lengths. He, he joined the dam, dam busters in, in 44, I, I think. So um, that's, that's the... Um, uh, so looking back on, on uh, my recollections, then you, you, you um, it was amazed, really, how uh, ignorant you were. But at the time, of course, you... you um, you didn't know that, but John Scrimshaw and the boss that they they uh, they they um, it was their job to uh, to uh, sort you out. Anyway, so so here we go. Uh, is this one more down? Uh, this one's that's um, that's the B12s uh, in silver paint at Ahakia, and that was in '63, um, and that's outside the the uh, the hangar. I'll just whip through. Now that's at Tenga, and that's our squadron line, and you can see we had our flag up there and the Air Force, uh, the squadron leader's pennant, and then a 14 squadron had a, had a flag, which was um, the Kiwi, and then 14 up there, and that's our pan, and uh, just behind and over here, that's 81 squadron, and 81 squadron was a PR7 squadron, and they'd been there since the end of the Second World War. Um, they actually operated in Russia during the Second World War, and then in uh, 48, or might have been 47, they were posted to uh, Malaya, and they'd been a PR squadron, but in Russia they were a Spitfire squadron, and I think they did some PR work. Uh, I'll whip through. Now, um, this was our area of operation, so there's Malaya, Malaya and that's, that's um, uh, we'll, we'll revisit, that's, that's Borneo, and then this is Sumatra, and then Java down here, and that's, that's Darwin in there and so we were crouched in here and our area was of operation was 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 really this 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 area in in here so that that sort of situates it and we were part of the far east air force it was 224 group and we were part of the commonwealth strategic reserve and um, we um, uh, should have been located at tenga like 41 squadron was but the government didn't have the funds, and so what, what they did instead was that after uh, 75 withdrew, and I got some photographs of 75, that they, where they had the B2s, uh, at the end of the B2 leasing, uh, the, the B2s were handed back to the RAF, and uh, the B12s uh, were based at Ahakia, but part of the Commonwealth Strategic Reserve, and twice a year we'd do a six-week deployment up to, uh, up to Tenga to, to show that... Um, uh, that, that we had this readiness, and we had a thing called a 30-day pack, and, uh, and that was, you, you could just um, uh, collect your toothbrush and go, and that, and that pack would, would be um, sent up, and that was enough uh, uh, to operate the squadron for about 
30 days. So you could get into in, into the uh, theatre and then, then operate. There were a couple of things that um, we discovered that, that uh, we'd missed out of the 30-day pack. But, uh, but that, that, was the, that was the theory of it. Uh, if the New Zealand government had the money, then they would, um, uh, would have put us there. Now, in confrontation, uh, well, well, I'll go back to the, the B2s. Uh, they replaced the Venoms. And the Venoms were leased, and the Venoms were pretty old. They were starting to fall apart at the end. So they got um, the B2s. And the, uh, some guys from Venoms went on to B, B2s, the pilot, but the navigators, uh, they, they, um, most of them came out of Sunderland's, actually. So they, um, uh, there were one or two transport guys, but essentially they were Sunderland guys. We had uh, one or two guys who were ex-Second World War, but funnily enough, um, the, as the navigators, they, um, uh, it was a bit, bit quick for them seven miles a minute uh, was um, uh, a bit, yeah, yeah, so, so they, um, uh, they, they had a, a little bit of difficulty and, um, uh, and that was mostly at the, at, at the sort of senior level, but after about three or four years, you know, the guys, you know, we, that, that, was, that, that was fine. Um, so when they got rid of the B2s and the B12s came aboard, then, then they were based at the Hakia and then we would... Um, uh, do those deployments to, uh, uh, to the now that's a shot of 64 that's when I joined the squadron and that's at Ahakia and they're all silver and when, when in August um, uh, 64 they decided to send the squadron uh, to, um, to Singapore and uh, one of the first things they did was camouflage the aircraft and the funny thing about it you, you know Gavin Tafui yeah, well, Gavin uh, got married in August '64, and he went off on his honeymoon. And he must be the only guy, that, uh, well, certainly that I know, that with a, uh, an APB went out on Gavin, uh, and would Gavin Trithui report to the nearest police station? And he was somewhere in, in Ruapai, I don't know where, where, but he's on his honeymoon. And uh, so, oh, 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 Gavin rang him, what's, what's, what's going on? And they said, well, the squadron's deploying, and. Uh, and uh, that was uh, okay. yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, and uh, and his his wife, she she actually came up uh, after the f her father was um, thought, oh, well, my poor daughter, yeah, no husband, so uh, he paid for her to go up there. So oh, Gavin was the only guy with his wife up there, <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, that, that caused some uh, that had to be managed very carefully. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, Okay. Uh, now, this is, I hope you can see that, but that's the B-12, and, um, and it's got um, uh, six 1,000-pounders um, six in there, and, and on the side here, just in, uh, under here, uh, are, th are 36 rockets. And so you could, you could carry um, uh, six 1,000-pounders in the bomb bay, and we had a pylon on each wing, and you could carry either... Uh, a full pot of rockets, the uh, two-inch high-velocity area rockets, uh, or a thousand-pounder. Now, curiously enough, with the if you loaded um, 36 into the pod, we'd we'd get hang-ups, and we, we they, they they wouldn't all clear, and uh, and the armourers were brilliant actually. That they um, they they work rewired this whole uh, thing, and they worked out that if you left off one rocket, 
somewhere they'd nutted it out with the electronic guide, then the whole lot would go. And so that's the sort of you know innovation that you um, uh, uh, that you get from from the guys. And I've got to say too that the armourers were the toughest guys uh, on the squadron. They they had a they were uh, a special breed. And um, and and when I uh, arrived, I was a new pilot officer and um, Bograt, and we had a um, a Christmas what do you do a Christmas draw? That's right, yeah. And um, and I, I became officer. I, I said I was getting the rugby going, and and uh, and when the time came for the Christmas draw, I bought a whole lot of tickets uh, towards the end, and the armourers uh, positioned themselves so you had to walk through them to go up to the stage to get your prize, <laughs> and anything that had a bottle in it, they ripped the top off. You know, and so <laughs> and, and so on. On that, I remember that Christmas, and and I, uh, for some reason, I, I won quite a lot. And uh, and so I had to pick my way th through the armourers, but they were very kind to me. They didn't, uh, you know, um, bruise me or, uh, or or anything like that. So so I got to know them pretty well. So that's the um, that's that's the B12, and uh, that's just another picture. That's in the camouflage, and that's at Tenga, and that's la later on. Now when they did the camouflage initially, they put big white numbers on them. And it just looked looked ridiculous, and the RAF had the black numbers. So when we went to Labuan, um, then you, you see the the B12s had the big white numbers on, and uh, and we know we can slot a uh, a date uh, for a photograph looking at the numbers, and say right, that's that's before um, uh, I think it was January uh, 65 or around about there that they or, or February 65. And, uh, and when Ross Ewing um, wrote his, his book on the uh, Requiem for a Skyhawk, up front there, were, there was a photograph of, of the B-12s at, at Lab One, and he was um, having a bit of difficulty uh, getting the date on it, and uh, spoke to Ross, and, he rang, and I said, yeah, no, that's... Uh, I, I knew where it was, and knew I said, yeah, and how do you know? I said, white numbers, white numbers. So that's... Okay. Uh, and that's just another shot of the pan at Tenga with the with the guys. And now for the first year or so, we didn't have a T-bird, uh, so that meant that the pilots um, uh, you didn't really get checked out. And so your uh, uh, MCT monthly continuation training just didn't happen. So back in Ahaki, you'd get an hour's MCT and you'd go up to twenty thousand feet and or go up to 40 and do an MCRIT run and then you'd come down to 20 and do a sort and do all the sort of stuff and then an academic circuit and da da da. All the flying up there was done in formation. And um, uh, so the course, that the, there were three crews on, on, on my course. Um, that, that, uh, that's interesting, yeah. The, uh, the NAV started the course two weeks ahead of the pilots. And, that, and when you do your wings course at Wigram, you don't, they don't do bombing or anything. And in fact, the pilots didn't even do any weapons. They used to do gunnery in the in, in the harbour. So there's none of that. You know, it was almost uh, uh, forerunner of PC, if you like, in, in, in there. But so when we arrived at Ahakia, we did two weeks uh, of bombing theory. And there was a guy called Arch Cummings who um, w ran the Central Photographic uh, Unit, and he was uh, an uh, had the O wing, navigating the Second World War, and I think he was on. Uh, uh, Mosquitoes and uh, but anyway, he, he he did the 
uh, the lectures, and he was brilliant. And I remember when he started off, and uh, and he introduced himself, and he said, "My job is to turn you chaps into professional assassins." And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> and he was into it, and and that was his his lecture, and he was very good. After two weeks, the pilots came in, and we had um, three big tables. And where the pilots uh, walked in and, and then stood by a table, Oz Grimm said, righto, that's your cruise. And so that's how you, uh, you, you teamed up. And I, I'd, um, uh, another guy, Graham Goldsmith and I thought, thought we'd get together. He was ahead, ahead of me. If I ended up flying with a guy called Ross Lambie, a great bloke, and he was a Cranwell guy. And the other bloke was um, Bruce Johnson, who was ex, uh, he went to Air New Zealand, and he, he was the other pilot. Okay, let's get through there. Well, these are just shots of the um, uh, of, of of the pan at different different stages. Uh, now, that's the uh, canopy that we had taken from the starboard side, and it was like a glass house. And the uh, it was very very hot uh, in there, and the the pilots used to used to cook, and we could have had. That's the canopy for a PR9. And we could have had the PR9, uh, but it was going to be about 2,000 pounds or, or something extra. Now, our IC strike at the time was a guy called Max Hope. And he came up when he was a group captain, and he used to fly the, um, fly the B-12, and, we, and, and he, he did one of the trips, and he came back and he thought, God, Jesus, we, he said, we should have had those PR9s. And when he got back to a haki, he got the edge, he said, find out what happened about ordering these. And, and he was told that, that we first initially um, ordered the, the, um, uh, this, this lift-up canopy. And what old Max found was he was a guy in Air Star that put a line through it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I love that. Max was actually a great guy. Superball was his nickname, but he, he, was, a, he was a great guy. Uh, now, that's a tip tanks uh, fitting on. It's not you know, a very elegant way, but that's how tip tanks are fitted. Um, and that's them on there. They had uh, 244 gallons in each, which is you know, about um, uh, 1,800 pounds, so they were not... Um, and there's the pylon. That's a shot of the pylon. It's not very much. We, we always felt that we could have had another pylon out there. Uh, there's no trouble at all. And uh, also, we could have had the gun pack. Um, yeah. Well, they looked at it, and again, it was it was uh, uh, money, and it's a bit like Air New Zealand with you know when they got the Beach 1900s, um, they got them without autopilot, and that was ten thousand um, uh, dollars an aircraft, I think. But the accountants put a line through that, you know, and that's that's when you think about the New Zealand operating environment, yeah, and the letdowns you got to do through cloud and whatnot, and then then the, you know, these guys had to hand fly those things uh, all, all all the time. It's a pity. The RAF, the B-16s, they, they didn't have uh, these pylons on, on theirs uh, until the later model, and then they stuck the pylons on. Uh, that's a thousand pounder, a uh, couple of thousand pounders being loaded at Tenga, just the old sort of Second World War type thing with a trolley. And uh, that's, um, uh, that's in the Bombay again. You can see, or you can't see, but, but anyway, there's the trolley going in, in, in underneath. And it was was um, uh, pushed in. They seem to uh, trundle along quite well. Uh, here we go. Here's a start up, um, and there's a cooler uh, over here, and there's the navigator's leg sitting out there, and and the cooler would would and it just had had cold air blasted up there, and you'd hold it up towards towards the pilot, 
um, and uh, that was that was it. Uh, and then that's that's the line there, or the 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 coolers out out there, and you'd have that over the top too. Uh, but there was was also a, um, a little screen that 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 the pilots could put um, pull across. But it would nevertheless was like a like a lighthouse, and that's uh, ready to roll. Uh, so they cleared it away, and the everything's cleaned up, and then we you know, taxied out, and the the aircraft were never sort of a one, two, three, four. They were just out there, and then you got allocated your aircraft, and so you didn't know, you know or you knew where you were in the line, and if you were number two or number three, and then you would you, you, um, you, you'd taxi out. That's one of the guys going past. I don't know who it is in in there, uh, and then you just taxing on down to where you can see the rocket pods underneath and then lining up uh, on the northerly vector so that's for a pair's takeoff um, there's two aircraft there and then the next pair are here and uh, I can't remember what uh, two ago and I think it was um, 30 seconds I, th I, don't, I, I can't remember what, what it was there and then the takeoff uh, that's a pair's takeoff and then uh, climbing up that's a fairly typical um, shot um, over the Malay uh, Peninsula, there's you know a fair fair bit of weather. Really, did you have a CA view day? You know, it was because the intertropical convergence zone used to come in there, and you had CBs that were just huge. And um, I um, used to scrounge rides and javelins and uh, and air tests and whatnot. And the javelin couldn't outclimb the CBs. So you you, you get up to forty odd thousand, and you'd see this thing bubbling up, and the uh, the uh, tropopause is about 70,000 feet, 75,000 feet in the uh, equatorial regions. New Zealand's about 36 and it gets lower in, uh, in winter time and it gets up to about 38 or you know, maybe 40 in, 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 in summer. And, and, and that's, that puts a cap on the, uh, on the weather. But the CBs are pretty, uh, they're nasty, uh, nasty things. We, we lost a B12, uh, no, um, a B2 and a in a CB in, in, in there, yeah. Uh, that's at um, 46,000 feet uh, and at minus 75 or so uh, centigrade and it was pretty cold. So the aeroplane was odd, you know, you'd have the navigator freezing and then the pilot sitting up in his little dome there, you know, sleeves rolled up and, you know, open <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, and unlike the Thunder Chief, the, the, the Thunder Chief's um, had ashtrays on a gimbal on, on either side and, and the American philosophy was different. Their pressurisation was um, combat and then it was about 8,000 feet or, or below. So you could be whistling on and a Thunder Chief would be there 36,000 feet and the guy's got his mask down and he's just at, uh, at um, it's pressurised at, at about 8,000 and these guys would smoke. You know, you're the, the, the old ashtray where ours was uh, automatic, ours was half your altitude plus 2,000 feet. So at 40,000, you'd have a, have a cabin altitude of 22, and uh, 50,000, then it was 27. Uh, so that, that was how it, um, how, how it worked. And we couldn't, um, that was just automatic. There, there, there was no, um, no control over, over that. Uh, now, here's a descent. You're not going to see it here, but um, there's two aircraft there and there and that's in a thing called high level battle and I'll get on to that later on but that's over uh, that's a recovery into Tenga um, and that's uh, believed or not that's a formation that's one of our um, 
the formations that we we flew, and I get on. There's a fairly um, that's recovery into Lab One, and you and how as I know it, it's Lab One around there because it's got the white numbers on it. So that, that's um, uh, now this um, uh, gives you an idea about that. Uh, uh, that happens to be me, and that's a guy called Bill Smiley, and. Um, and uh, I can't remember what it was. I d didn't normally fly with Flash, uh, but um, the guy Chubb Roberts uh, flew with him, and we got airborne, and um, we were very heavy, and we had a um, uh, uh, a cooling system failure, and pressurisation failure, and we were, and you, 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 it was just hot, and so we had to um, fly around to get the weight of the aircraft down to land and that was uh, just um, it, 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 so you'd typically typically lose about um, you know two kilos of flight uh, and the RAF um, aviation medicine guys wanted to do some uh, to document this the, this weight loss and they also um, uh, put some recorders into the intercom system and we we, we objected to that so we thought we would screw up there. They would look back at us childish, really. But um, so the, what the guys were doing is that they'd get airborne and they'd take some fruit juice and some milk with them. And they'd get weighed and then they'd come back. They'd Jesus, you put on half a kilo. <laughs> and then when we'd get on, we'd start up and we'd say, good morning, the RAF Aviation Medicine, something or other. We'd give them a rude message and whatnot. Anyway, they, we only lasted about a week and they, they we got... Not that I find you boring, yeah, but I've no. got some children yeah, to go and sure. pick up, so yeah, right. thank you very okay. much. That's another typical shot um, near the Johor Straits, and uh, that's in, in low-level uh, battle. That's the number one, number two, and then the three here, and then four back, back there. Uh, and that's um, uh, uh, joining up into run across Tenga in, a, in a, what's called a buzz and break, so that's be... be uh, turning left to north and then your four aircraft would be stacked like that and you'd race over. It's the quickest way to get, get four down and so you'd just fly over the, the top of the field about a thousand feet and then just break. I, I think it was about a two second break with, and then, then you were perfectly spaced to, to come in and land. Uh, that's low level up the east coast of Malaya. That's the bomb site. Uh, and, uh, and here's another one low level. Um, these would be at about um, 300, 350 knots, I guess. How low? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's probably... Um, uh, well, be, they should be at about 50 feet, but it's sometimes a bit, um, bit lower. Sometimes it's, 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 it's higher. Yeah. Uh, and there's another one I wanted to get. You can see the, um, that's over the, over the jungle. In Borneo, the top of the trees were about 250 feet high. So they were really, really high. In the Malay Peninsula, they weren't so uh, weren't so high. But that was quite a nice one to get the get the silhouette in. Uh, and then this is um, that's the Aussies actually. That's joining up with the Australians. I can't remember what what um, what that was for. But the Australians. So we had Australian cameras at Butterworth. We had RAF cameras at Tinga, 45 Squadron, and they had the B16s. We had ourselves. Um, and then I mentioned the PR9s, the Canberras, and then during confrontation they would get a squadron detached from um, uh, from Cyprus, and they were really good guys, and they were 73 Squadron, and they shared a pan with us, and um, 
and we, we had a weapons competition up there and we came last and the, um, uh, the uh, we shared a pan with them, we shared the bar with them and and, uh, and the conversation was something like, how come you guys are so bloody useless at at, um, at, the, at bombing and rocketing? And the uh, John Scrimshaw and, and uh, Ray Wilson there's at Navio and Graham Barron talked to them. So what they said, why don't you come and fly with us? So the NAVs flew with their, their pilots and the pilots um, um, flew with our NAVs and they showed us how, uh, how they were doing it. And, uh, the, uh, and after that, uh, we never lost a weapons competition. <laughs> so they were, we, we just didn't have, um, uh, have, have the technique. We had a reflector site you know, which, which uh, for, for rocketing. And actually you could bomb off it too. Uh, but they were they were really good. Oh, and there was also another squadron of Canberra's at Quantum. I'll show you in a map where that is. And th those guys, um, they had B-8s out, out there, and they came from Germany, um, or else um, uh, uh, Cyprus, near, near East Air Force, but usually from, from Germany. So uh, the Brits were garrisoning the place pretty well, as well as that we had a detachment of V-Force, and then what I, um, I, I was uh, curious about was the PR9s would come in from Malta, 39 Squadron, and they'd come in, uh, I think it was, sing yes, it was singly. And then these things would disappear at night. We, we um, uh, one of the guys, the, the, the guy that I flew with, Ross Lamb, he was um, at Cramwell with, with one of the guys who was on, on 39 Squadron. And so we got to uh, drink with these guys. Uh, but they wouldn't tell you much about their performance. And uh, they're at least 60,000 feet. And they had the, we had the 109 engine, the Avon 109, with 7,500 pounds of thrust. And they had the 209, which was what they had in the Hunter 9 series. And they had two of those. And I think they were about 8.5 or 8. So they had a lot of, a lot of power. And inboard of the engines, the, the, um, uh, the cord was wider. So they had more, more fuel. And I think that uh, increased their performance at, at at high altitude, but they'd be sixty thousand feet plus, and, and they used to shoot through and go north, and then they'd fly across Indonesia, and you know they'd end up in in uh, Darwin, and they had anti you know, the ECM gear, and no one ever heard them. And the same with the Vulcans, you know, they we'd, we'd fly around Cocos, but not not the Vulcans and not <laughs> the other I reckon nobody knew they were there. Uh, and that's the, that's the line again at Tenga. Now, this is um, called High Level Battle, and that one I showed you uh, at, uh, at one level. So what you had was that you had, um, uh, you know, that the, the leader here, it didn't matter that side or that side, so you had the number one there, the, the leader there, his deputy was, was stepped back about a, a hundred yards, and you notice we spoke in yards in those, those days, and then about 2,000 yards um, out here was the deputy leader number three and his number two off there. And that's, that's, that was what we called a high-level high battle. And that gave you good manoeuvrability and cover. So when you turned, you did crossover turns. So, so the guy on the outside of the turn would turn tight and he would go loose. And when he got into, he got into his 12 o'clock, then he would, he would slacken off. And when he got into his 6 o'clock, he would tighten up and then you should roll out at um, out level. And uh, they, that, that, that um, didn't, uh, didn't always work that way, but that's, that's what it should be. <laughs> uh, and then now a tactical box formation. Now this is something that we, um, 
uh, dreamt up up there. But it was um, an unlikely formation. But what you had was a leader here, and his number two was um, a couple, uh, yeah, at least a couple of thousand yards out there, depended on the terrain. And then uh, two to three thousand yards behind was a deputy leader, and then his number two. And at the back here, you, you got pretty good cover, and you had cover for uh, at least about 1,500 yards. So it was unlikely that a guy was going to get on your tail uh, inside, and you wouldn't see him before 1,500 yards. But what we found was that they um, mostly didn't spot the guys behind. And so they didn't, didn't pick up the, the two guys at the back. They'd pick up the front, so they'd come hurtling in. And we did quite a lot of exercises with the Navy and, uh, and, and the Hunters. And, uh, and it was good, good fun. Yeah, so that was... And, and that, that, that was our formation, low level for low level rocketing and uh, in, in going about, that would be the formation. If you got into um, uh, uh, tricky um, topography, then this was low level battle here. So you had the leader here, 45 degrees and 75 yards was there, and then that's about 150 yards back, and then his number two. But that depended on the, on the, uh, on the terrain that was, but that was a neat and easily managed formation for uh, manoeuvring through um, valleys and, uh, and, and hills and things. Now, this is um, uh, that thing that was zeroed in a bit, but these were some of the targets that we had. Now, we were, that's Singapore there, uh, Butterworth is up here, and that's where the Aussies were, we were based there, and there's a place called Gonketa over there, we were sent up there for about three months, and then Quantum was down here. And uh, the, um, the RAF wanted to keep the spread of, uh, of aircraft dispersed around the place. At Quantum there wasn't much. There's was quite a good Royal Malaysian Air Force base there as well. Now over here in Labuan uh, was, a, was a strip as well. And, and down here in, um, in, in, in Sarawak. So the, the javelins, there were two squadrons of javelins. And they used to whip across here and do QR, QRA over here. Um, they'd be based at Labon and um, at Kuching, and uh, they were also based at um, at, uh, at in Tinga. So what we um, uh, we used to do uh, what was called target study, and uh, you'd go across into the ops room, and they'd have these target study rooms, and you'd have um, you know they're bolted up, and and the ops guy you'd sign for your go bag as a little um, sort of uh, canvas bag. And then there would be the maps and photographs and, and your flight plan and, and, the, and the like. And we're supposed to do uh, so many hours a month, I, I can't remember. So we, we'd go across there. The pilots would come across and make sure you had some playbills in your bag. So they'd go across there. You'd be mucking around the old pilots are sitting there reading playbills. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was, um, and your bag was, was your one so that you'd, uh, um, yeah, so you'd do the flight plan and, and, and whatnot. Now, we had um, we didn't know uh, who else was on the particular uh, uh, mission that that you're on, and our job was to take the Indonesian Air Force out on the ground, and that was what we were tasked with. And the uh, and the Hallam Air Force Base down here is um, was and I I was on that. And I, all I knew was that it was a six-ship formation, so I figured we'd be number two, and old Wallingford would 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 lead that. Uh, I had another one over here, and um, 
but I just uh, Hallam is uh, 487. Yeah, it's 487 nautical uh, nautical miles from Singapore to to Hallam, and across here to um, to uh, Papen, that was 715, and then it was about 400 odd to Labuan, and then about just just a bit over 700 coming back. So this one would have been pretty tough. Now, in as far as range and endurance. When we did the flight plans for this one, the, the RAF did the flight plans and, and checked these damn things. And the other thing that we, well, one of the things we found was that the fuel flow graphs that we had uh, that Boscombe Down prepared uh, weren't up to scratch. So we were getting a lot of diversions and the fuel flow was, was, uh, uh, was a lot higher than what, what, we, um, what, what the book said. So we redid the fuel graphs and that was done on the squadron. So what, what you did was on every flight you just uh, gave your, your, um, your flight plan which had the fuel flow figures on the back to one guy and then he would go through and assemble them and then create the graphs and we got new graphs and they were eventually sent to uh, Boscombe down and, and I believe the RAF uh, uh, picked them up for everyone with the, you know, the 109 engines. But anyway, uh, so um, you get in there and uh, you check the flight plan, you, know, so you want to never accept anybody else's flight plan. And what the, the profile was uh, out of Singapore and then high level, I can't remember what height, probably about 38 or something, and then at about um, uh, 150, you, you descend, and then, then we had, or it might have been a bit further, actually, about 300 out, yes, it was about, and then descend, and then low level into, into Hallam. And uh, when, when you worked through the fuel grass figures, we were getting back with about 1,500 pounds. And you needed 1,800 pounds for a sort of letdown landing at overshoot, and so I talked to the nav leader. And the other other navs had found the same thing, so we changed our profile to remain at high level much um, much longer, and then then descend in, in there. Uh, the other other thing was that we knew was that um, if there was any interception, then uh, you're on. You know, it was just going to be. You're on your own, you know. You you, you just um, had to get rid of whatever it was, and then uh, and and that was it, you know. So uh, um, now Madame is up here, and Madame was only um, 350 nautical miles direct from there to there, and the MiG 21s were based there, and uh, that would have been an easy target. Uh, it would have been just you know up the middle there or somewhere, and then come in and zip across the Straits of Malacca and and have a whack at them. Uh, this one here, I didn't. Um, from I think we had they had a, an airstrip, the fuel and oil um, installations, and uh, there are a couple of ways you could do it. You could either go across there uh, and use up your fuel, and then zap into Labuan because uh, you wouldn't have made it there and back. Whereas you could have gone that way, refuel, um, and then down 400 nautical miles, and then back that way or or this way. Uh, so that was the, um, the targets. The um, photographs and the information we had was superb and um, I think it was, um, uh, I, I use Shell Oil quite a bit now uh, I think they provided a bit of the, uh, the, the information from it. It was excellent um, intelligence that, uh, that, uh, that we had. Uh, but it, um, uh, fortunately it never, never, um, never came to, you know, didn't have to didn't have to get do that. Uh, now this is an operational uh, rocket attack, and so you, you'd whistle in at um, at uh, 500 uh, at, at 50 feet, about 350 knots, 
and then you just bunt up a bit to about 150, and then at about a, a thousand yards, um, then you would fire, and then you would break off. Uh, and the targets were um, aircraft on the on uh, on a pan. And what you did, uh, the theory was that if you fired at a thousand yards from the target, uh, and you were fairly level, and if you aimed about a third of the way up, then then you would take out most of it, and the rocket should pass over uh, that at 12 foot six. So that's when you use. <laughs> gravity and the, and, and the speed, so that gave it, 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 it quite a good uh, spread. Um, the, the, um, this thing, what, that's not flying over the tail, that's, that's, that's breaking away. Uh, and so the, the plan view would be racing, and if they are the two targets, so you've got the two aircraft there, and, uh, and the pairs were seven seconds uh, uh, apart, so you'd whistle in, and then head break off, and then the guy on the right would, would break off. Uh, and for some reason, the, the, um, we always flew number two, but we were always on the right-hand side. Uh, so I don't know, you know, it was just, all right. Uh, and that's a, uh, not a full pod shoot, but that's 12, that's 24 in each, um, in each pod. And so that's a bit of an idea about if, if there were 36. Uh, um, I, 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 I took that uh, shot, actually, and it's the... Uh, it's the last full pod or ro rocket shoot from, from a Canberra, and that, that's Kuiper, uh, the, the Kuiper range. So we had a couple of um, practices there. Was the, the guy flying that's um, um, Graham Jackson. Who's his navigator? I, ca I can't remember. Oh, Dick Hurley. And then I was with the boss, um, uh, Don Smith, and had a couple of, that's in a dive bomb, 30 degree uh, dive bomb. And uh, so we needed some practice and old, and, and so we had to go up, and, and Don had to get around the around the side, and I he, and I was saying, get in closer, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, it's got to be no good, and you're up there trying to to, to take a photograph. But it did the, uh, on the it was taken in those 35 mil things, and if that was a 35 mil um, shot, this thing was only a little bit in the in, in the middle, so it was it, it was blown up yeah. and, uh, and enhanced. Now this is an operational uh, bombing attack, and we did a, what was called a pop up to 1,400 feet. So we'd whistle in here uh, at 360 knots, and about um, two and a half to three miles. And then you'd pop up. You so a bit of a power climb. You would um, uh, get to 1,400 feet, and uh, and then 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 um, drop, and then then a 3G pull up to 3,000 uh, over the target. And we practiced that quite a bit. And it takes a fair bit of uh, skill um, to, uh, to do that. The, the, um, you had autopilot, uh, so you get a height lock, but up the nose of the Canberra there's a little wheel that the navigator could uh, guide the aircraft um, onto the target. So as you pulled up, you'd see the target and then you would sort of line, and stop you saying left, left, right, right, you know, and, and, there, and then get it on the target, and the pilot then uh, would, would concentrate on the speed and that was absolutely crucial because you've got to get that, 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 that speed right and then, and then level because uh, well, Newton's laws they come whistling in you know, as soon as that thing goes and um, so, so that was, that's the pop bomb. Now we had one other thing that we, we practice occasionally but, but uh, I, I don't imagine this ever, ever uh, you know, I can't imagine where we'd do it. Um, well, yeah, totally. But that was um, uh, how many miles is that? 
Oh yeah, tw 10 to 12 miles back, he's come whistling in at 360 knots. 10 to 12 miles back, a full power climb up to 7,000 feet, and then, and and then over the target, and and away you'd go. Uh, we we practice it, but I, I none of us thought that that was you know, a real um, was 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 worth it. Now here's an academic. Um, uh, we had, had China Rock was a range, and so to practice the rocketing, you would um, go in a circuit. So there'd be four of us in the in the circuit, and, and we we lost uh, a Canberra there in November '64. Um, that was um, uh, Russ Thompson and Jim Jim Southgate. They uh, hit the water at China Rock, and uh, it, the this profile here is uh, is as a consequence. Of, of, of that accident. So what you did, you came downwind at a thousand feet, 300 knots, you did a descending turn, and it was not below uh, 500 feet there. Oh, on, uh, you'd expect to be 500 feet there, and then when you straightened out, um, yes, uh, it was not below 500 feet. So, if, so in your descending turn, once you got to 500 feet, then you leveled off, and you didn't descend down until you were straight, um, uh, Running straight into the target, and then you had the a slow descent uh, down at at 350 knots until you got to um, uh, to uh, to the firing point, um, and um, here, and you just just you know, uh, bunt bunt down a little bit, and then you'd uh, pull up and 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 go around again. Uh, so that, so that was what was um, how you practice the uh, the rocketing. And uh, that was the um, uh, that was it here. So you come along. It was 250 feet. Bunt down. Fire. Thousand yards from, and then just pull up. But the um, the operational one would have been at um, uh, 50 feet or uh, around about there. But it was it, you got the idea. That was 150 feet there. Uh, that's that's low level running into the range. That one's probably a bit less than 50 feet. Uh, and that's um, one of the guys um, coming in. That was taken by a range safety officer. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's one of the guys. So when you finish the detail, you you just say goodbye to them, and you'd flash past the hut. And uh, it's never low enough. Pardon? It was never low enough. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Well, we we there was a guy called Barnes who was an Aussie, and he was on 45 Squadron. And uh, and he was the range safety officer, officer, range safety officer on one occasion. And at the time, I was flying with uh, uh, Snow Lloyd, uh, uh, Graham Lloyd, and um, and and we had, we would take um, uh, uh, ten rockets. Yeah, it was ten rockets firing singly, and then we'd have um, six, I think, 25-pound bombs. And I had a bit of a theory. That uh, um, and and we do the bombs first. Now in the nose of a Canberra, the master switch is uh, it's a stupid POM design switch, but it's bombs up, off RP, same switch, and that's the master master switch. So I and, and our um, bombing angle was um, quite uh, quite. Uh, uh, high, it was 72 degrees or so. I just, I can't, I've got the figures in here anyway. I said to Snow, I think you can get that depression on the gun sight. Why don't you have a go? And uh, so uh, he, he, he whistled and then he had it lined up on the gun sight. But I could track it down the bomb sight, the, the graticule, 
and uh, and if it went over, uh, it was going to go over. I just switched from bombs to off, and and did that, and said just no, no, too far. We'll we'll do it again. Anyway, we and uh, the next one around, we 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 came in and, and ran in, and he was over the top, and I went from bombs to off, and my hand slipped, or was a bit of turbulence, and went off to RP, just as snow hit the button, and the, these bloody rockets uh, <laughs> uh, went off, and we were aiming straight at the rain safety hut, and these, this thing splashed down on the beach in front of Barnes, and he got a bit of a surprise, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then he said, oh, 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 and, and he said, uh, uh, I said, oh, finger trouble, finger trouble, we got a sword. He said, okay, and, uh, and, and he allowed us to continue. And he reported that. Now, wh what should have happened is that we, he should have booted us off the range. So um, when we got back, we, we cleared, and, and we mentioned to Steve that that had happened. Oh, oh, yes. But poor old Barnes had to write it in, in his book, and then the, the ops guys got hold of it. Uh, and yes, yes, this, this is what happened. But old Barnes got a real, he, he was really hammered for not sending us home. But we persuaded him that we... we anyway, we bought him a few beers. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Pardon? That's the story I left Oh, yeah, he'll, he, he will remember. There's some other ones I can tell you, too, about, about Al Snow. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, good. Now, this is um, uh, uh, on an exercise uh, lion roar, and that's the guys coming in, and there's some javelins down there, and uh, that would be like, uh, that would be what it would look like uh, if you're going into the target. These guys are a bit close, they're more than seven seconds uh, in there, so they would have been, been ripped up. And that's coming from the low level battle, and then once you get to the targets, then you, you, um, uh, you, you whistle in it. So they would have been further apart back there. And that's one of the guys, um, he would have fired, I'd say. Well, he would have got to his firing point. No, no, that's, yeah. Now, he would have been approaching it, and then he, he, he was breaking away. Uh, and that's, um, you can just see, there's our aircraft, and, and, and there's some Vulcans um, down there. Um, now, what happened was, when you landed, this is taken at Gonquetta, the refuelers came up straight away. And as soon as the, the, the uh, engines were shut down, then bang. It was all, it was just uh, uh, really busy. It was a, a sort of a well-oiled machine. It was just absolutely uh, amazing. You'll see some shots here with all the guys with their safety boots on. <laughs> Jandals and, you know, <laughs> funny, funny. <laughs> yeah, funny. Old occupational safety and health. <laughs> the block there. Uh, they had their hats on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did too, actually. Well, oh. oh, I don't know what's happened there. Uh, we'll get uh, down here somewhere. Yeah. I'll have to get over here. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. That's it. Then we'll go up to view. Uh, oh, ah. God. Intermission. With the mix match with the B-57? With the versus the B-57, yeah, the, um, uh, they're, they're great machines. They um, uh, were like the cockpit layout, a different role, and uh, uh, and that's, that's um, 
Uh, that's at Gogketa again, and so that's uh, number one tank and number two tank. There's a number three tank uh, being filled up. Yeah, they got their hats on. Yeah, and their safety boots. Uh, and this guy will be checking um, uh, for paint, uh, uh, stripping off it all. And that was the the number one tank was 520 gallons, and that was three, um, yeah, about 320 or a bit less. Did and you have any wing tanks, or was it only? Uh, yes, we did. We had in tanks, yeah, in there. And that was a difference with the B2. Um, so when the Aussies got there, they were the first customers. And the original B2s didn't have integral tanks, and so that limited the range. And then, then the first 28 uh, Aussie B20s didn't have integrals, and then the others uh, had integrals, and we had the integrals, and uh, that was um, yeah. And this was the the uh, how the guys operated. You know, this is an electrical problem on the starboard equipment bay, and uh, everything was done out out um, out in the open, and uh, it's just. Uh, just brilliant, and we had damn near 100% serviceability uh, up there, and and our guys were um, just uh, you know, superb. You know, they they um, they were. Your photos are all well in sunny weather. Oh, I got some uh, one or two there. There's uh, there. That's a trim check um, on the tailplane. Uh, it must have been tricky because there's a, a few of these guys look like senior NCOs. Well, it's, it's safety, <laughs> safety observers. Yeah, well, that'd be. That'd be yeah. right. And you can see the old Kiwi up, up there. What's that? Control the youngsters. Yeah, 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 that's right. We'll, we'll all decision. be the youngest guy up there. Yeah, yeah. Be. Uh, now, that's a Battle of Britain fire pass in 66. And um, so, what you've got here, we led that. So that's 14 squadron, that's 45, and there's the Aussies. And the Australians always had a slightly uh, wider formation, and they, um, that was how they, they, they typically flew. Um, these were, that was 20 squadron hunters, and that's, uh, that'll be either 60 or 64, and that's the other, their, their javelins. Uh, the, the RAF liked their fly pass. We, uh, now that's Gonketa, we got sent to Gonketa in, um, uh, in April 65 and Gonketa was a strip that was built by the Japanese and it had a sort of coral um, uh, coral coral strip and then the, the RAF went in there and they, they <coughs> put bitumen on, on the whole thing but it was really rough on the tyres and so we had about half the tyre life uh, we ripped through through tyres there and this was part of the um, uh, their uh, uh, keeping the squadron spread around the peninsula, and at the time we went up there, the um, Chinping and his mob were active again on the on the Thai border. So there was a bit of um, static um, uh, going on there. So the Brits just um, you know, put um, put guys up there, and and we were there, and we were on holiday. And there's the um, that's a shot of um, well, that's the old uh, strip. They, they, they built another another strip. You see the pans down here, there's a couple of canvas there, and that's a squadron line in here. Uh, and that's just a shot of that. So, I mean, that's, it was just an open, open field with this hill on the side. Uh, that's the headquarters. And there's a Beverly coming in uh, with our gear. Uh, so we got there first, and, um, and then the Beverly uh, whipped in, and it was unloaded on the on the spot. Um, 
that's the, the squadron flight line, uh, and that's the officer's mess, and that's the ops room uh, where you have a briefing and, and, and whatnot, uh, and that's the, the mess tent. This guy here is Ron Hales, he was our hooker in the uh, armourer, good guy, a good, good rugby player. Uh, and you can see all the safety boots here, but as you say, they've got their hats on. <laughs> uh, and that's the latrines on the flight line. <laughs> With the Malaysian guys that come around and they'd spray mosquito uh, stuff. And that's the dispersal latrine. Uh, that's Dick Laurie, that happens to be me. Uh, uh, yeah. And that's how you, you, you'd wander around with your shorts, uh, or else your flying suit, you know, tied. Dick used to walk around with his flying suit on, just have it tied around his, uh, his way. That's a squadron brief. Uh, Jeff Wallingford there. And uh, that's our warrant officer. Uh, and uh, that was how, um, uh, how, how, how the business was, was done. And the RAF um, really was stumped. They couldn't tell officers from NCOs, from, uh, from airmen, and it bothered them. You know, they, they, um, and that particular briefing, what had happened was that we'd had a barbecue out on the beach, and a couple of the airmen had wogged the flag of the... They had a squadron leader uh, station commander or base commander, and he, had, he used to trundle around in his damn... Um, uh, Land Rover with his flag up, you know, this squadron leader's flag. So the guys whipped it, and uh, it was just, you know, Wallace never went around with a flag, and so that that, that disappeared. And the and the wing commander, no, he was a squadron leader, complained to Wallace, and uh, and he thought, oh, gee, you know, I've got, you know, got, got to do something about it. So he had this briefing. He said to the guys, you know, look, um, uh, can can we get this flag back? Have we, have we still got the flag? And uh, I think it would be a good thing if we can uh, get it back. And then this can came wandering, rolling through, <laughs> and somebody had stuffed it in a can. <laughs> the warrant officer got it, they took it out of the can, gave it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you the guys. What's that? You didn't get in trouble for that. No, I didn't do it. No, no. Oh, no, it <laughs> no, no, it wasn't me. You don't yeah, protest yeah, yeah, yeah. too much? Who? You. About protest too much? Protest? Mm. What, what about? Well, it sounds like you're protesting a little bit much here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, you know, the, the sort of... I mean, the, the, as far as the ground crew guys were concerned, they set themselves up, you know, and, and, and if you've got a bunch of guys from, you know, some from Otrahonga and someone from Buddy Fairley and someone from, you know, Stratford, and you've got all these guys and they go through a course together, you know, it's, um, it's, it's the ingredients for... Um, yeah, yeah, for, for, for setting things up and the guys there. Another one, we was a guy called Neville Mines, and he was. <laughs> we all know Neville. Neville, yeah. Well, Neville. Um, yeah, yeah. He got. Uh, he, he had a few uh, too much old, old Neville, and uh, when the V bombers were there, I don't know, you heard this story, and he um, and they had the thing cordoned off, and the the RAF police and bits and pieces, and. Anyway, Neville managed to uh, stick a, a kiwi on, on all the Vulcans. <laughs> and uh, the following day, they thought this, and they said, Jesus, uh, how did he get through the cordon, you see? And so the boss got the guys together, and he said, look, um, he said, who, who, um, 
who put the Kiwis up? Neville thought, Christ, I'm in the poo here, you know, and, and had to explain that there'll be no trouble, it's just that the, they want to know how it was done. And uh, so old, old, uh, we, we had a bit of an idea, and it was, and Neville um, said, yes, it's a, but he couldn't remember. And it was it was a tank, and there was a guy. Uh, the, I played half a first five. It was a guy Redmond, and these are odd things there. The RF were, were quite good, and this this guy, well, he was a corporal, and he was had the squadron tractor, and he was at the main gate, and he was off to town in the squadron tractor, and they wouldn't let him through. And uh, and I happened to be the orderly officer, so you get a call from the main gate and say, oh, so one of your officers, uh, well, one of your men are down here. Um, pinching the, your squadron tractor and he wants to go to town. I said, all right, fine. So I, I rang the McGregor Club and got a couple of guys in rugby team, a couple of corporals, and, and he was a corporal. And I said, look, for Christ's sake, oh, Red's, Red's at, at the main gate. Can you whistle down there with three of the guys and take him back, you know, or get, uh, uh, get him back? So I got down to the uh, main gate and, uh, and the corporals, they sorted him out. And he, he went back and one of the guys drove the tractor back and you know, it was, um, so there were, there, there were ways, they, they tended to, to keep it a little bit outside themselves. Uh, that's the postal run uh, of Valletta and the control tower at uh, there. Now we had um, these oil can guns scattered around the place, and I don't know, you know, whether, but, um, and, and, uh, and we manned those, the ground crew guys would, um, uh, and we had some Bren gun pits too, there's a Bren gun pit uh, on, on the pan. Uh, but it, it was, you know, you, you, you were, um, well, that was, uh, the guys knew how to use them. But, uh, uh, and there, now, this this here, we, we um, just going back one there. We, we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, it was reported that we had a tiger that, that was around the perimeter, a large cat. And um, uh, well, well, it was reported as a large cat. And th th that particular thing, was uh, was in the squadron brief. So it says here, uh, a big stray cat. A tire, it was a tire. Was reported about the airfield perimeter, but uh, but only a lion was found. And, was a, and there was a Peace Corps girl sort of somewhere around. And and uh, the guy stuck that into Waller's um, briefing when, when he would have these these uh, dignitaries around. And oh, what was it? <laughs> and there was, uh, and they issued us with with pistols. And um, and there's some automatic rifles there, but the pistol they, they were useless. They, they um, uh, the uh, my legs are so short, so um, when I stuck it on the side there, I couldn't really bend. So it was it was hopeless. I used to pick, take it off and stick it in the nav bag. Nobody ever wore it, and Chubb used to put us above the door, and other guys had them stowed all around the place. So it was just what we wanted were the shoulder holsters. That would have been like the Americans um, had would have been would have been, but these things were sort of Indiana Jones stuff, you know. It was <laughs> it was ridiculous. And there's a another. There, I can tell you, name all those guys over there. Um, this is a choir practice, and uh, that's Gavin Trithui. I thought that was Gavin. Yeah, that's Gavin. Uh, that's the doc, Doc Breasted, and uh, that's Steve Gillingham, the flight commander. Uh, and that's Jeff Wallingford's finger. <laughs> And there he is there, the two tenors, those Wallers, and, um, I forgot his name, uh, Rehydration. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the panniers <laughs> came in, and so that was a bomb pannier, and uh, we could get um, quite a lot of uh, beer in, and that was after a, uh, uh, after a 
happy hour or something and that and that <laughs> the old cans had um go and you could cool them off fairly fairly quickly too uh, there. Uh, and that's a uh, uh, interval at our um, Gonqueda festival performance, um, and it was r been raining there. There's the doc, Rastead there. He was uh, he, he was a good guy. Now just just on on that thing, he um, I think he was a, a gynaecologist. But we had our own doc, and it was brilliant. And there was a uh, a reasonable incidence of uh, of VD uh, amongst the uh, CF, not as bad as the Navy and not as bad as, as, as the Army. And uh, ours was the lowest. Uh, but when we, we were six months when we lost the dock and the rate went, uh, went up. And, and he, he was great. So he used to, at Gonquetta, he had a little notice board um, outside his, his um, rooms, which was <laughs> a tent under there. And, and he would stick... Um, uh, Cards and notices up there, the the, the sort of unkeen places in in, in Cota Brew. I mean, this it's it's um, what's that pol political weasel word? The reality is <laughs> uh, that when you've got a whole bunch of guys and, and there's a, this thing's going to you know it's uh, in a place like that it's it, it's uh, going to arise and so it's got to be managed. And New Zealand managed it better than the Australians and and far better than than the RAF. And that and that was. The RNZF wanting their docks uh, in there. They are great. Here's our run to the beach, an R and R run to the beach. There's the beach close by. That's Chub Roberts up there, and like I can name the other. There's um, that's Gavin, uh, and that's what the beach looks like. Now this is um, in this in the uh, uh, Straits of Singapore, and that's four uh, Royal Navy carriers, and amongst them there is Eagle and Ark Royal, and that was before a Navy exercise that, that we had. And I, I took that photo thinking, cripes, there probably won't be too many places where you get four carriers uh, in, in a line. And the fleet air arm guys were just, uh, I did a, managed to uh, get up in a CVIX, uh, but the fleet air arm guys are just um, something else. They are um, uh, amazing, amazing guys. they very, very good at weapons. Uh, air traffic control they're not interested in uh, and they can fly tactically brilliantly because when they fly around over the ocean there's no air traffic control so when they come to a place like Singapore the senior pilot and one of the other guys the flight commander well, well the senior pilot and the boss and one other guy they get briefed about air traffic and they do the air traffic and uh, and the other guys know nothing about it they just get airborne and away you go and I went on a rocketing sortie with um, um, <coughs> with with 899 Squadron and in the Sea Vixen we are flying from Tenga out to China Rock so we're flying east and on the right hand side is the window so you're sitting there in, in, in the bank seat and John Eagle who was a senior pilot he was leading it so we'd just taken off and we're coming around St John and he lost comms so he couldn't uh, communicate and so uh, we were the number three, so we, we took over. So I was able to look out the side there and say, right, change to Changi approach, da da da, da change to this and change, because there were about eight frequency changes just to get around the bottom of China Rock, uh, of Singapore out to China Rock. And so that's the sort of, uh, you know, if, if I don't know what would have happened if I would have been, they would have just boomed, boomed on through and then, and then you know, come, come back. But they are great operators. 
that's in Hong Kong, and that's doing. We, we went up there in the end of '66. Uh, there's four aircraft there. Um, that's the leader there, and that's um, uh, or that's his number two. That's the deputy leader, and that's there, and that's out in the new territories, just just uh, um, uh, flying around, just checking out the border. Really, they had a had a bombing range there, uh, which, which we used. Uh, that's a 20 squadron hunter, uh, and that's um, uh, looks like that's uh, either the Johor Straits or um, uh, the uh, Malacca. And they were they, they were great, great machines, great guys in, in 20 squadron. Uh, there's a bit of rain for you, uh, and it just comes uh, just just dredging, or well, it just drenches you. Um, that's a javelin, and. Um, uh, 60 Squadron one that um, uh, they um, came in for a buzz and break and did the break and this guy uh, he couldn't move the throttle and uh, and and so they banged out and um, and it was uh, eight o'clock in in the morning you um, you assembled in the squad about eight o'clock for the squadron briefing and then they'd say stand by for crash alarm test and then they'd go blah and then crash alarm test over and so we were sitting there just before and this happened at eight o'clock. And we were sitting there just before, and the old crash alarm went off. But there was no standby, no race outside. And you see this javelin just, just and these guys go bang, bang uh, out of it. And that was what, and that was, uh, they pushed that just to the end of our pan, which we weren't sort of, we didn't see ourselves as being this part of the scrap heap. <laughs> uh, that's um, uh, at Karat, and uh, John Scrimshaw um, lost, um, uh, lost an engine. There and uh, uh, right near crit speed, and uh, and stuck it down on uh, the deck, went off the end of the runway, and the um, uh, Americans. This was quite a busy runway. And the Americans said, rang up the engineering officer and said, "Get that goddamn machine off the side there." And so many minutes, and if you can't move it, we'll bulldoze it off. <laughs> so I think, Christ, you know, I'll, I'll stew Mac and now. If you lose an aircraft, the answer that that would have been you know one tenth of our strike force, <laughs> and uh, so the the guys got out there and they shifted it, and 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 did it in fairly uh, fairly quick time. I don't know what it was, maybe three hours or, or something. But the Americans would have just uh, bulldozed it if that was a 105 or something, just bang. We couldn't afford to do that. That's the officers' mess at Tenga, and now that's at. Um, there's an Aussie um, B-20 there. You can see the difference, and there's the B-12. Uh, and that, that was during an exercise in, in 1966. That's uh, Night at Ahakia. And, that was, uh, and that's, a, that, that's my course. Uh, and then th these are the, uh, the B-2s. And that was on their Christmas card in 1956 when they just got the B-2s. So you can uh, see them there. And uh, right. now... Pardon? With Bright, the one with Barlow. Uh, the, the here? The oh, oh, back there. Yeah. Uh, when I visited Bright, is he, it? he had that up on his wall. And he oh, said, did he? he? said that they staged that. Yeah, but that's a Malaysian guy there. Yeah. And I don't know who that... Um, uh, but, but that's... Ron McFarlane designed the... the, the oh, the card, did he? Yeah. Okay. So, right. And, and uh, Bright was um, one of the... He was the CEO at the time. Okay. Oh, Nelson Bright. Yes, yes, yes. And then that's um, an interesting photograph. Now, there was a stamp. Uh, that you might remember, uh, a 40 cent stamp, 1960, and that is Steve Gillingham, and they've taken Steve off that and stuck him on the, on the, 
uh, on the stamp. So the uh, that's it, uh, and that's the again the that, that's it, uh, when the B twos came to New, Ze uh, New Zealand in But they knew, they knew how to go, you know, how, how far to go. And uh, this is a time, you know, look, I was officer in charge of rugby up there and we needed, and we had a second 5-8 that went back. And a Maori guy, I can't remember, he was, um, anyway, uh, we also needed a guy on the supply side. So uh, I went into Wallace and, and said, oh, sir, um, can we get a... Uh, uh, we need a second 5.8 who's also in the supply uh, trade. <laughs> and while I said, okay, well, I'll see if I can get, a, uh, get the supply guy who also plays rugby. I said, no, no, sir, we've got a second 5.8 <laughs> yeah, who, who is in the supply trade. Well, this guy called Chuck Stewart was whipped off his trade course two weeks before he completed it. And we had, um, Des Hawks was the warrant officer, and he had a, he could do final, so he hadn't finished his trade training exams, and it was decided that he could do them in Tenga. And with Des Hawks did the, did the supervision. So um, the signal went back and I said to this guy, Chuck Stewart, uh, bring your boots, bring your boots. So I went across the Changi, met him, I said, you got the boots? Got the boots? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he went straight into the FIAF team. He was a young guy, about 17 or 18, and a great rugby player. Now, those sort of things, you know, yes. you the, the lost, lost perspective uh, in there. And what I found with, with the guys was that they knew exactly how far to go down. I, I started to wear glasses up there, and I couldn't read the numbers of the aircraft. And all the ground, ground crew guys knew that. And so I'd race out there and say, where's 06? And they knew it. So I saw it's over there. So I'd race over there. Go on, Christ, it's got a navigator. <laughs> so my pilot had gone to wear a blue flying suit. All the other guys had green. So I could see, I could see Ross out there. But... <laughs> Always, when I, if I, my glasses were a bit loose, they had an instrument sky, I didn't work this out, attending my aircraft all the time, just in case there was a problem with my glasses and they could screw it up and, and, and there. So there was that, that sort of, um, uh, yeah, camaraderie, there, there was, uh, it was just, uh, ju just superb. And, um, yeah, it was... Well, now, it just, it just can't happen. It just no, can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, when when we left, uh, and I was, it was so, it was brilliant. The New Zealand ambassador put on a party at his residence, and the New Zealand ambassador's party and residence is, is a huge garden and huge whatnot, and uh, and he invited the whole squadron, 103, and it was, uh, and everybody was dressed in planters. So he also invited the um, squadron commanders and, and their wives uh, to there, and so odd wing commander and whatnot. One of the, and uh, so, so how many are going to be there? And he says, oh, we're going to have a, 103. I think there's 103 of the Kiwis. 103, and he's, and uh, and he got the message that the ground crew guys were coming, and the the the, the RAF never would have done no. that. <laughs> now our our um, ambassador was a high commissioner then. Uh, he he. 
he knew this situation. He put on a barbecue. A few of the guys um, went in, and, and he said, where are you from? And he, said, he said, right, you guys run the bar, and the next guy's right, you're doing the barbecue. And, and he sussed the guys out, and they put them onto jobs, and then when, when it was over, there was quite a lot of grog left over, and, he, and so he said to the guys, he said, well, I don't know what we're going to do about this. And I said, I think you guys better take it away. And there was <laughs> but that's, that's the sort of um, thing. And there was, um, and it was, you couldn't, uh, the, the, uh, the guys, it was impeccable the whole evening. Everybody was dressed the same, you know, trousers, a white shirt and a tie. And, uh, and, and the, um, the RAF wives were completely battle, you know, they, 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 these young, tall guys chatting them up, you know. <laughs> But it was, that was the... Yeah. Um, uh, I can relate to it in a smaller way, that it was an era that will never, ever happen again. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things that we used to get up, I was yes. based in Wellington for two yeah. years, so we were even a smaller team. So, yeah, we used to give the air crew trouble, they used to give yeah. us, and it was just a, it was a happy family. Yes, yeah. Well, they're, they're um, I, I'll go back to my earlier comment. I, to be, in, those, in the days of that, that was my first tour, and, and so I, I did a couple of others after and uh, and I, I was just, you know, didn't know what was going on. And I flew with Bruce Johnson, who was on our camera course. Oh, Bruce, he went on to fly uh, 747s with the Air New Zealand. And Bruce, Bruce's name was uh, Magoo, because he flew, and his nickname. And, and, uh, and on one particular uh, fly was a high-low high, I was down to fly with Magoo. And he always wanted to you know, fly with me. He, he's a surfer, Mount Monganui guy. And I noticed that, that Bruce uh, flew with his uh, bank seat cranked right up, and he had about three inches cranked up. And I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty high. He must have had a short neck or something, because you go the, the gun side up there. Anyway, we got airborne, and, and old Bruce was laughing, and to come on, and, and, um, and we'd climb up, and then he'd bunt over, so all your pencils and things would go <laughs> up, and he'd be chuckling away. And when he'd racket her, he'd pull the G and he'd uh, 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 laughing. And, uh, and I thought it was all right, you'll keep Magoo. So we were uh, number three coming into land. It was a, you know, the, um, a stream landing. And as we got to about 200 feet, I hit the button on Bruce's yes. uh, bank seat and it dropped the three inches. <laughs> and he thought he was ejecting. <laughs> <laughs> and his hands came off there. And then we were, and then they hit the turbulence, and he saw, <laughs> and he had the vibe, and he's got <laughs> heavy breathing, and bang on there, and he said, Christ, I'll get you, and anyway, when we, when we stopped, as soon as it was shut down, I was out the bloody door, <laughs> and, and off, and old Bruce is coming out with a crash axe, and, and he, he was, you know, but it was a fairly day, because I could imagine if we prayed, and then at the court of inquiry, well, yes, uh, flying yeah. off Savari, you decided to lower the pilot seat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what vision did you have uh, flying off of Johnson? So those the, uh, you know, sort of things that, um, that then I probably wouldn't uh, go. That there, there are other, other odd things. There's some f funny... Yes. Uh, yeah, well, what, one, um, I think about Snow Lloyd, and uh, in the uh, Canberra aerobatic thing, um, <coughs> you um, you finish off the display, and if it was uh, you do a uh, run, pa the last manoeuvre was run past the crowd, or you come in line of 
line of stern, you go up, turn around, and then it'll be uh, 100 yards line of stern, 450 knots. And, and low will rip, rip, and then, then you would, if it was a clear day, then you'd rip up and, and then just do a roll off the top, and, um, and, and, and th that was the end of it. So on this particular one, we're rolling up there, you get up there, roll off the top, looking around, and there's snow about five miles out that way. And what, what, the, what the hell, and, and the debrief got there, what happened to you, Snow? Well, what he did was that for some reason, he took his watch off, and put it on the other hand. And he'd forgotten that he was going up which way he should roll. <laughs> and so he remembered that it was his watch hand down. But he'd taken it off and put it on that one. So he went whack that way and ended, ended right over there. So on the, on, on the briefing of me, he'd say, righto, uh, Snow, watch his left hand. And uh, that was it. So, so there were um, odd, odd things there. Yeah. You were saying about the, the, uh, the RAF and things like this, the British Army virtually the same. In Cyprus with uh, Nelson Bright, uh, the rugby team was 14 Kiwis and a Welshman who was the doctor. <laughs> oh, and the our thing, doctor was a Welshman. And the thing was, he said, on the sports field there is no such thing as rank. Yeah. Now there was one game we were playing the British, the uh, Green Howards Regiment, yeah. and the flanker was getting nipping around the scrum, getting offside all the time. You know, this happened about four or five times, and finally the number eight stood up and said, Sergeant, you'll stay on side, and that is an order. And that bloke never moved off the side of that scrum. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, it, it still went on. And, and uh, yeah, in the combined services, Singapore combined services team, uh, they had, um, it were, uh, RAF guys are mostly officers, but there were, um, uh, Navy had some petty officers, and we had two guys on the side, and um, and they were both uh, LACs. And the one of them was a, uh, a forward who used to do wrestling as a part-time uh, professional wrestling in down, downtown, which we discovered later on. And old Chuck Stewart. And it was uh, and the, the, there was a Navy rating that was sir, sir, the ball, this sort of thing, you know, which which uh, uh, so it was it was it was really odd. I know when I um, first joined Teal, we had some old British, and I'll say they were British gentlemen. But the reason they'd come to New Zealand is they'd been involved with 75 squadron. Oh, yes. yes. And the attitude, yeah. they couldn't believe that you know, the boys are going to have a drink out yeah. and the ground crew were invited. Yeah. They said, that just never happened. Yeah. So they ended up coming to New Zealand for that very reason. Well, you can see we, we continued that on in New Zealand. We'd have a happy hour. And the whole, whole, um, you know, well, there's really no other way. I mean, that, that's what you, um, uh, yeah. And the, uh, uh, well, I suppose it's the way we, we were, you know, brought up. For I can remember, you're not supposed to have grog in the hangar, and uh, we we were allocated our our aircraft, and we had a particular problem uh, with the with the blue silk, and. Um, and figured it was going to be a, uh, a long job, and there were two shifts. So, and I think the shift changes, I can't remember, but it was four or something, and the second shift worked till the last aeroplane was serviceable. And, uh, and at about, uh, I wandered down at about seven o'clock, eight o'clock, and uh, the guys were beavering away, and I kept an eye on it. Anyway, at about 10 o'clock, I wandered down to the hangar and, and had a crate of beer. And, and wandered in and, 
and, uh, and and stuck it in the, in the crew. The guys were just about uh, ready. You know, they, they, they were there. And that's the sort of thing that um, uh, that happened. You know, just yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just annoying. But they, no one abuses the situation. That's the that's the thing. You know, there's this um, the responsibility is is still there, and it must be something to do with you know, training or. Emin did notice the difference, and we always characterised you officers. Oh yeah, it's yeah. good and the bad. Well, they, they, they did on our squadron too. So John Hosey and De Lorenzo were called Mexican Airlines because, <laughs> because they uh, snagged the aircraft all the time. And my second tour, Goldie and I had, um, and this was in, in Singapore, and there was an engine rumble that that, that uh, Goldie reckoned he could, he could feel. He could feel it, feel it on, on on the port engine. And, uh, and he said, "Can you can you hear that?" I, I, I couldn't. But so I said, "I'll stick my bone dome against the the, the, the fuses, which Goldie couldn't do, strapped in." And sure enough, on the left hand side, the, I said, "Yeah, yeah, there's a the, I, I can I can detect that." So we land back. Goldie sticks in the 700 um, uh, engine rubble port engine, um, and, and that's it. Anyway, the what happens is ground test serviceable. <laughs> so next flight, it's still there. And uh, same thing happens. Third flight, uh, still there, but it was a little bit worse. And Mr. Corona, do you know, he was a warrant officer there, and he came into the crew room and, and he said, oh, he said, I see you snag, whatever it was, zero six or something, three times, and, and he, talk, he talked to us. So we talked to him and uh, went back and he got the guys to whip the engine out. Now, in, at Tingy, you can see from there, that's, that's, uh, you don't make those sort of decisions lightly. They whipped it out. Anyway, we hung around uh, the, the squadron while this, this was going on, and uh, for another day in the early evening, and old Mr. Corona came in. He said, oh, I thought you might like to know there was a crack in the fifth stage of the turbine. He said, uh, might have lasted 10 seconds, wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes. And uh, and so what 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 that was was well, Mr. Corona we, he he realized we didn't uh, recognise at the time but he realised we we weren't Mexican Airlines and so he wanted to he he figured and that's experience you know that's the feeling part and uh, and the guys that whipped the engine out and found that that was just you know I mean, what a what a superb uh, uh, superb job so we we, we had the odd win the opposite way because there was nothing worse. We're talking electrics now at a Wellington, where the guy had five hours to look back through the logbook and say, shit, oh, Louis, uh, high frequency vibration on number four. Yeah, yeah. So he'd write it in the book. Yeah. And every, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. But anyhow, this would go on. This particular one was brilliant because one of the captains at the end of the track walked into the office and what he wasn't going to do to us over this whole business and had a guts hole, and that we didn't do something. We were we were an outstation. Yeah. The airplane would have to go back to Wellington, uh, Auckland for it. Yes. It was brilliant because we said, "Yes, sir. No, no, that's that's good. That's good. Yes, took it all on board. Do you realise you're flying TEB? What do you mean? We've been flying TEA for the previous three days. You're now flying TEB." <laughs> We had a uh, great happy family, and uh, uh, and amongst the aircrew, the guys would get a bit rare. We had a guy called Mike Airy who um, 
it came as a flight commander. It didn't stay very long. But on the um, on your flying suit, you had a, a knife and a little yellow thing in there. And Bill Smiley put an F in front of the Erie. And so it's still fair. Brad Coop loved that. Yeah. And Bob, like Erie, thought the safety of service guys had done it. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he never Bloody said. He never cut him. Bloody yes and yes. But he, he, he never. Uh, uh, never tweaked, you know. yeah. and uh, and old Bill Smiley um, uh, got on the back of my. Um, you had a little jerkin thing you put on, and I never and didn't notice for a while. But it had Taja on the back, T A J A on on the back, and and this thing was stenciled like it was on a, a wool bale. Uh, and I sort of wander out that the old ground crew guys are sort of sniggling, sniggling. And uh, I'm like, what the hell's this Taja? And, uh, and that was old Flash, you know. He would uh, refer to that, and it's sort of a teenage jet ace. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys are, you know, ranking the guys. Hey, you know, it's a small world, but your story about the seat and the camera, it might have been some of the same team, because one of those incidents. The flight engineer came in, whose name is Slip at the moment, but he was a character, but he had no eyes. I mean, his eyesight was abysmal. Yeah, yeah. So he flew the Tasman and the Electra in the engineer's seat right up here. <laughs> <laughs> and the pilots used to knock the handle on the seat. They actually came into the office one day, look, if you guys don't fix that bloody seat, <laughs> we think, what the hell is this all about? Well, we noticed the co-pilot was hanging around. And after he'd gone, he says, nothing wrong with the seat. It's just coxie. We always hit the handle on it. Yeah. yeah. They, so, they, I'm sure animals, that. Absolutely. You ever have much dealings with Barry Gordon? Uh, yes, yeah. He was... Um, uh, when, when we went up to uh, Singapore, uh, that was in 64, uh, Barry Gordon went back to Ahakia after um, flying instructing down there and he was uh, <coughs> instructing on the canvas for, for a little while and then he, then he got out. Barry Gordon was our hero because you could get Barry to do anything. You know, you've got serviceability, or a problem with the aeroplane. But Barry was the one pilot who would say, look, what do you want me to check? Or what mm. do you want me to do? Yeah, yeah. Whereas you've said to some other pilots, so, you know, is this aeroplane serviceable or not? Yeah. Well, yes it is, but, but that Barry was pretty, got us into a lot of trouble. I think uh, the, all the guys in the <coughs> RNZ and certainly under the squadrons of live versus the RAF. The RAF were very good, very good operators. Yeah. And the Aussies are, are, are pretty Aussies. good, but I, I think our guys are, are great. And I had an occasion <coughs> once to do some briefing to uh, some army units. We do forward air controlling. And you go in there and just explain what, what we're on about and the performance and, and what was driven around in a Land Rover. And it was a corporal with us. Um, I don't think it was Pete Teague, anyway. He, he'd come in and, and he'd just watch going. So I'd go through the dissertation and uh, the, the, the spiel. And, um, and then after that, I'd be offered a cup of tea or, or something, and he wasn't offered any of it. Mm. And that was, uh, and, it, that, and it, it wasn't right. Mm. And uh, so we got off, and he said, God, he said, you got it pretty easy. Uh, you know, right, you're driven around there, and you get up there and you talk for like, five minutes. And, uh, he said, even I could do that. And I said, OK, you're on for the next one. We swapped shirts. He went in. He went up the front. And he did the briefing. And I stood in the back as a driver. And I thought, oh, we'll see how this goes. And he went through 
perfectly. And then the brigade major asked him a question. And I thought, this is going to stump you, mate. And what are you going to say here? And he says, oh, that's fairly straightforward. He says, even my driver can. And that was the sort of guys that we... So that was it anyway, so uh, I, for me it was uh, a lot of, uh, in my life uh, I had some great uh, bosses and flight commanders and, and good company and it's a secret in life, you know, and, and, the, um, uh, and they all looked, uh, everybody looked out for, for everybody else and, and uh, because I was the, uh, the bog rat, uh, the ground crew guys looked after me, particularly in the in in the rugby team, and um, one one thing that before I got there, uh, the guys had bent the truck that we had on loan from the yard. This is a rugby team, and so the boss had to do something about it. And said, right, well, he's taking the truck out, and uh, we had games around the place, and it was a real inconvenience. And uh, and I asked the guys, what what's what's happened to them? I says, oh, the boss has stopped it, and why he stopped it. So I went in to see Wallace and, uh, and said, look, um, I'll, I'll take responsibility for the truck and we, we really need it uh, to get the guy ready. He said, okay. And so he got the truck and the guys never thought I'd get the truck. And so um, I um, went back and I said, well, we got the truck. And I said, yeah, so, but you three guys are the guys that have to drive it, well, three corporals. And no drinking and driving. Well, they did that for two years and they rotated around and they looked after that truck and it, and never any any problem. There was, you know, that they. That's the sort of uh, thing. And I, I told them it was my my butt. But the other guys, if they're Aussies, they would have put their butt in the line, you know. But the the yeah. Yeah. So that that's yeah, a lot so of fun. I the beginning of your uh, your chat there. But did you transition from the Bocu? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it wasn't SSU. Yeah. So we. Um, I was on 10 Boku, and uh, uh, and that was weeded ours on over in the 70, uh, over 40 squadron hangar on the 75 squadron side, and we share their um, their crew rooms, so we were able to put laxative in the coffee, <laughs> <laughs> which we did at heaps. I was just about to ask you to come to the 75 squadron reunion, but oh, no, <laughs> 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 um, no, we're, uh, well, I wasn't on. We were on 75. Uh, um, you know, uh, although it was on, on that side of the hangar, yeah. but um, yeah, all the pilots went through uh, 75, and I wasn't a B2 guy. Yeah. No. You mentioned before about the Kaipara weapons oh, range. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, probably in a direct line, probably halfway between there and Fenelpai, and my best memory was a diamond formation about 300 feet over the farm, yeah. and I was, you know, about so long. Yeah, the farmers put up with a lot. Oh. Our, our inland flying area was up around Taihappy and the farmer complained about that and old Pat Neville was the boss and he was really gripped about what was going on. So old Pat Neville said he'd go and see this guy and he went up there and, he, and old Pat Neville silk him. And he went up there and took somebody else up there and old Pat Neville came back with a horse for his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was, uh, this yeah. guy was... Uh, you know, yeah. it was, but if we had trouble around Kuiper, 
then we would go and see the farmer with a half a dozen. The armories had it all sussed. So that's all, oh, we'll, we'll sort this out. And so you get a half dozen beer, they go and see the farmer. And well, that was on one occasion, yes, there was a, um, a carving problem and the guys were ripping up the place. And, uh, and I don't know whether the calf had died or what, but that was, um, that was a problem and, and, and nobody, you know, um, we, of course we didn't know about it. But the armourers um, sorted it out. To look at them, you wouldn't think they were uh, sensitive <laughs> new age guys. <laughs> they had to drive down past all the farms, didn't they? So yeah, yeah, yes. So and my father was, was keen on aviation as I was, so he loved it as much as I did. So you would never complain. Yeah, well, today, you'd have you know the bloody Greens or the conservation mm, yeah. people, or you'd have you know the RMA or I, I don't you know. It's just uh, deer hunters. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, um, uh, as somebody said here, it was a great era, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.